Gaming and BS episode 304 being recorded Monday, August 3rd, 2020. Welcome to Gaming and BS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome, show folks. Welcome back. Have a look at my hand while I adjust this damn camera. How you doing, Sean? Brett, I have to say, I sounds like I'm doing better than you, which is not uh, always good to know. <sighs> yeah, I busted a crown on my teeth, and my uh, as uh, my lovely wife Susan, I said, "Man, I hate having a busted crown." She said, "Why? Is it hurt?" I said, "Nah, because then the peasants don't treat you as well." And she's like, "That's a terrible joke," but that's all I had. And I have this stupid pinched nerve on my neck. I'd done something to my neck. I think it's an old martial arts injury 20, 30 years ago. Finally creeping up on me. And uh, I was talking to VC Young, friend of the show, um, backer supporter, all around awesome dude. And uh, I knew he has back pain. They just get a pinch nerve in his back. I'm like, does it feel like electric ice picks of fire stabbing down you? He goes, oh, yeah. Yeah. Doubles you over, makes you want to cry. I said, that's the stuff. That's totally what this is. So I got an MRI next Monday. I go see what the hell is wrong with that and hopefully figure out what to do. But I got my uh, crown fixed today, so that's all done and done. Well, and hey. on the upside, because the dentist who did it less than three years ago, it broke. He said, sorry, fix it for nothing. So there wow. we go. That shit's expensive. <laughs> so thankfully, I don't have to pay for it. So that's nice. Should I want to get any gaming in? Let's talk about something more fun than that. Brett's Wait. ailments are not that inter- interesting. So Thursday had session zero for Delta Green. How'd that go? It was brief. I, well, it wasn't brief. It was, well, it was kind of brief. It was good. It, uh, I monopolized the time and dictated how things were going to roll. That's um, good. That's yeah. good. So they, all the players have bailed. You're looking for new players, I assume? Pretty much. Pretty much. Well, I think they're going to give me the benefit <laughs> of the doubt. They're going to give let's, me the- Let you try it once. They'll give me an hour into session one, see how that goes. Uh, so Fair check enough. out Tony Harrigan, uh, Andy, and Mr. Jason Hobbs from Hobbs and Friends. Thursday night, a week from this Thursday, I think it's the 13th is our next of August. 2020 is our next session. That'll be session one of running uh, music from a darkened room for Delta Green. So it'll be fun. Yeah. Cool. I know Harrigan's pretty pumped. hope the other guys are too. Very so cool. he's, he's creating his own character. And then the other three are... I know Hobbs is doing a pre-gen. Andy's doing a pre-gen. And then I think Tony Sugarloaf may be rolling his own. I'd have to. Definitely. I used to uh, bemoan the whole pre-gen thing, man. But I'll tell you that now. I've used them a couple different times to teach people game systems, and by God, that's pretty handy, especially if they're ones that are kind of geared towards the event, like we do for con games and stuff. It really, I found anyway that when I. Like ran Call of Cthulhu for my kids and stuff, found some pre-gens, helped them out. It helped them make sure the characters were, quote-unquote, built right, or that they would have the most fun. That they wouldn't say, oh, crap, I didn't know I needed library use, I should have taken points in that. It helped to make a character that was rounded out enough in all the right places that they had opportunities at all the different spots within the within the plot line. So that's kind of cool. That's a good idea, I think. Well, that and... With the, I mean, I'm choosing the game. It's not consensus, right? Like, hey, mm-hmm. who wants to play a game, and we'll all come together and figure it out. Like, 
I'm just saying Delta Green, and so you don't know if anybody has the rule book. They don't. You don't know if anybody actually knows the rules. Mm-hmm. So you just pre. I told and and Arrigan was thankful. I don't know about the other guys. Um, I they could have probably gone either way, but Arrigan was. He really liked. So he ordered the books, and uh, he was glad I went with native Delta Green rules versus Gumshoe. So oh okay, and I went with native delta green rules because i think they're the easiest to just grok they're just percentage and they're skill based oh, it's it fast too it's super yeah. fun yeah and if you play call cthulhu before you'll get it quick right but if you've heard enough stories about it it's not it's not like the gumshoe is this weird mystical system of right. oh my god spend points to get stuff it just it's very classic in its right. way it's got some new cool bits with luck and all that stuff but Eh, that's all. It's the chassis solid, so you'll be good. And then Sunday we played in uh, Hobbs's um, BX game, which is coming along fairly well. Good. We're streaming that on Sunday mornings, starting at eight ish Central Time, and go to about eleven thirty noon Central nice. Time. So if you want to check that out, that's at Hobbs six six five on Twitch. So cool. Um, but that's it. Have you, did you game this weekend, Brad? No, too oh. much pain. Sorry. <laughs> it's just had to go back to that. Uh, either taking the Vicodin I was prescribed to try to take the edge off it or ice and laying around a lot. This will probably be the most I've been able to sit in one place for a while. So hmm. do it. Let's move on. Let's random encounter this sucker. Let's go. All right. Let's get into random encounter then. Random Encounter, a segment of the show where we field voicemails, uh, comments from social media, emails. Uh, we have one this week, so not a really busy week. Well, and read I, away, sir. And I pulled this out of the forums. Um, so, The Warden, a.k.a. Todd Crapper, a.k.a. Broken Ruler Games, on Monsters as Monsters. Oh, my goodness. Excuse moi. Just finished this episode, and the Gollum slash Sauron analogy is bang on. There are two correlations to go with this. The higher up the ladder a character is, the more evil they are. It's almost as if the true sign of evil is bureaucracy. (laughs) In my own games, I've had truly evil characters become nuanced and deeper because they connected with the players in some way during play. My old homebrew campaign had an undead devourer crime boss uh, known as Kamo Kamorosaka Kamoraska Kamoraska. He was meant to be a bad mother. Shut your mouth! That was targeted <laughs> by a vengeful spirit looking to kill him. My expectation was that the party would want to help kill the Kamoraska. But something about the character and how I portrayed him made the party want to keep him around as a recurring character. Eh, let's befriend him, you know. Interesting. He was evil and you wouldn't want to run or wouldn't wouldn't want to turn your back on him, but they found uses for him. He became detailed. uh, We built a history and he became a major NPC in the campaign. Being able to convert evil characters into complex ones is a valuable tool for RPGs and perhaps one of the most... One of the missed points about all orcs slash drow being evil. Regardless of your personal views and understanding of how this can be problematic for some, having that flexibility to make a monster or NPC more than just evil 
can and should always be a possibility. In a way, chalk this up to another flaw in alignments as they apply at the table. Great episode, really got me thinking about the topic in my own games. Not that I'm running or playing in any right now. Online play with rural internet isn't a thing at this time, but that's the sacrifice I'm making during the pandemic. And that is how you complain about first world problems. <laughs> Cue and credits, close curtains, turn up the house lights. I'm out. I like the idea that the higher up you go, true evil is bureaucracy. Uh, yeah. yeah. Brett's getting up there. Yeah, well. I mean, he's uh, a director, so. I, I, I can taste the pure evil. It's uh, it's not as, it's getting more and more distilled, which is one of the reasons why I've looked at my, my team periodically and there'll be a shuffle or something at work and like, oh, you're going for that? No. No, that's as high as I go. Why? I say, ah, hang on to what little bit of my soul I got left. I'm not sure I'm ready to move up the chain anywhere. <laughs> that's just not my bag. Yeah, yeah, well. I like that. The other thing that's cool, too, is if uh, what I'm seeing from Mr. Warden here, Mr. Todd, is if if your PCs are into an NPC, right, and suddenly they're really grokking that NPC bad guy, and they're like, hey, enemy of my enemy, you know, keep your enemies close, blah, 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 and they really want to pull that, there's no reason not to lean into it. We've talked about this many times over the six years we've been doing this, Sean, is your players will come up with some amazingly cool stuff that they want to do. They want to see happen. They think they're like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if Sean or Brett was doing X? Right down. Yeah, yes. So oh, how insightful of you, sir and or madam. You have clearly seen through my ruse, and that's exactly what I'm doing. Frantically takes notes <laughs> as to what you should be doing. But I like that. If the uh, Kamaraska here is evil, and it turns out that the players kind of flip it around a little bit, I want to not necessarily make buddies, but figure out a way to use it and so forth. There's a lot of really cool genre emulation and other cool shit you can do with, you know, a bad guy. You know, that's kind of sort of your friend. A lot of spy movies. At least um, I recall some of the Bond stuff even where James would be like, oh, I know so-and-so, that ex-Russian agent. If you watch the movie Red, the original one, um, uh, retired extremely dangerous from the old graphic novel. But Bruce Willis runs into a character... Um, a gentleman who's a Russian spy, a former Russian spy, and they just start drinking vodka and reminiscing about the old days. You know what happened to so-and-so? Oh, he died. No, I flipped him. Oh, you crazy bastard. They just go back and forth. They're just having a grand time talking about shit that they've done together. You know, so it, there's there's precedent in storytelling to make this work. And I think that's uh, another good piece here is listen to what your players are asking you to do. And uh, there's no reason you can't adjust your story. You don't have to stay, nope, sorry. The Kamaraska is evil, must be killed and slain and defeated. That's the only way this bad guy works. Eh, not necessarily. You can change that shit up. That's all good. Thanks, Todd. Good stuff, man. We ready? We are ready for the main topic. Right. The main topic. Brett's all planned, and he's got this one, which I think is... Very interesting. Yeah, so this comes from Tom over in the forums. He said, you want to run a campaign to get together with a group. Everyone creates a character. Run a few introductory sessions. Everyone seems to get the feel. And then you realize you didn't really set up anything long term. In the past, Tom said, you know, I've always got ideas for the characters, backgrounds, and so forth. Uh, inevitably, he seemed to end up with several ongoing interweaving storylines. But what he's got now is the group he's got are, are decent to work with, but they're, they're just not developing that stuff, right? When you when you, one of your tricks in your bag is, hey, I'll just dig into the player character backgrounds, right? 
if you're used to characters or players, I should say that, come to your game. You start with a, a novel idea, a short little story idea. You're like, hey, whatever's going to happen, man. No, these men and women, they're going to crank out some kick-ass shit, and I'm going to be able to rock and roll a campaign based off of this. We'll just freewheel this. And then you sometimes get dead air. And dead air in the in the matter of the players are like, they don't think that way. That's not how they game, or it's not necessarily a skill set that they have, have developed, or are necessarily good at. Some players, we've talked about this. This isn't talking about showing up to be entertained, but sometimes players are like, oh, the game master said he has a campaign. Let's see where it goes. Kind of like, oh, we're playing, you know, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, which is the new thing coming from Watsi. Oh, we're playing a Ravenloft game. Oh, we're playing this campaign. Oh, we're going through this adventure path. Okay, there's stuff to be done. When you're building something, though, it's uh, not <laughs> not always that easy to say, hey, I'm going to sit down and build a uh, uh, first through 20th level adventure here, right? Where if you go and grab, what's the... Uh, the Tomb of Annihilation, what is that? Levels 1 through 20 again or something crazy? I have to double check. But it's a, it's a... It's not 20. I don't think it's 20. That seems high. Because I think the guys were like 11th or 12th. Okay. But even so, you're going to go from 0 to level 15 or whatnot, usually. Right. In a lot of these. And not everybody wants to put the time or is able to plot out something like that. So, so Sean, one of the, what Tom's asking us for is, you know, how the hell do you set up campaigns? How much should depend on your players or could depend on the players? How much should you plan in advance, you know, as opposed to kind of responding, just responding to the players? And do you do general outline elements and fill them in as the game progresses? So it's kind of a general, he asked this out in the forums, generally for everybody, but I felt it made it kind of interesting topic. And I did bring this up on the show when he wrote into us on this originally. Give us a little time to think about it. So, Sean, I know... I think our off mic's joke with Sean is like, well, the first thing I do is I grab the hardcover book I just bought and I start reading. <laughs> Page one, the introduction. Or exactly. probably the credits or the whatever, but yeah. So I think for me, and I think this might actually work uh, in Sean's realm too. I think some of this, when we talk, let's, so let's break this down a little bit. How much of this should depend on the player slash their characters, right? I think some of it, Sean, you hinted at this um, topic in a way when you talked about your Delta Green piece. You sat down, had your session zero, and I assume you told people what? What did you tell them? It was about X and they should make this type of player character? Did you give them some rules of the road? Like, hey, don't bother making a uh, a former you know, Israeli secret agent. Don't bother making a Russian spy. Please make Homeland Security or something. Did you put any limitations on them? I didn't put any limitations in there, but I did give them the kind of mission brief okay. that came from ASAL. And I think in many of the forum posts, I might have stipulated, here's kind of the situation. If you're not familiar with Delta Green, let me know. However, this particular mission is not going to be paramilitary. It's not going to be military-based. You can you could create a military-based character, but keep in mind that this is not going into the jungle, rate, you know, guns a blazing. It's it's not that. Is this on scenario. like U.S. soil type of thing? It is on U.S. soil. Yeah, okay. yeah. It, it's actually very, very much domestic. Okay. So, yeah, they are investigating uh, the death of an FBI agent that, well, that was. Well, that sets a stage, though. Yeah. yeah. So you've set that piece of it, right? So you did that piece, and having good players like you have. 
those folks go out and say, okay, I'm going to find a character that fits this. Right. So I think there's, when we say depends on the players, Tom, one of the things I would throw back back to you is like, you know, helping to encourage your players. Sometimes you need stronger encouragement, like clue by four or various other tools to force the, the issue by giving limitations saying, Hey, no dragonborn. I'm sorry. No Sith. Oh, I'm sorry. No chaotic evil. Um, I'm sorry. We don't want to do this or whatever the case is. Um, or Hey, that background or that merit or flaw, Benny, whatever from whatever system you have. Hey, don't use that splat book for Savage Worlds this time because of whatever. I think by doing that, you're helping the players then make sure that they're making characters that are going to fit the campaign. Some of the biggest problems I mean, I've had is when I've depended solely on the characters, on the player, on the characters that the players built, is that unless you are really ready to off the cuff wheel and deal, pull some crazy shit out of your pocket, people are going to show up with a firefighter, a boxer, an alienist, and a jet pilot, you know, a, 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 a crash test pilot or something for your Call of Cthulhu game. You're like, the fuck? What, what? What? Not a single one of them knows how to use a library card. Has a library card. No one even knows how to, where the library is. Huh. Or you're going to make this really cool Star Wars game. You've got this neat idea. And you end up with a whole bunch of Jedi. And you're like, well, I kind of want to do a scum and villainy thing. And uh, well, I guess that's the story they want to go with. That's what I got to do. I think but that the key here is you're setting at that session zero, you're kind of built you're building that together. Say, look, you've got the freedom to make the character you want. However, if you really want to get the most out of this thing that we're working on together, um, please, you know, here's the here's the uh, mission brief. You know, make sure you're ready to deal with this mission brief. Yes, later on you could develop a character that retires. You know, sometimes boots first out <laughs> of Delta Green. Or, hey, they give up this life of swords and sorcery and they retire and become a, a count or something in a tower or, or whatever it is that they do. Or they no longer wish to be a Jedi Master and they go retire off to the some moon somewhere or whatever the hell it is they do. But start the when the players, I think, what depending on them to make characters that fit at least at the outset. And I think then making sure that they make those characters with space to grow. So that they're open to change. If you make somebody who is the, you know, they never change. They're always the same. They they never want to adjust a little bit. There's no flexibility in anything, so on and so forth. That can be a challenge. But does that make sense, Sean? It does. Because, I mean, you're running a pre-published. And if somebody would have shown up and said, well, yeah, I know, but I want to be a Mossad guy. And somebody else said, well, yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm, uh, you know, Vietnamese special forces person, or I'm from Japan, or I'm from this, and you know, yeah, I don't even, I, I'm not even here. Where, where do you live? I, I live in, you know, England. You get a, you, you, you tell me why I'm there. You know, I've had players do that where they purposely make a character that's like kind of a challenge for you as the game master. Sometimes like just to fuck with me. <laughs> Other times I think people don't, they don't understand that they should play along a little bit. Well, and that tells you something in the beginning of the game right away. Because if somebody Absolutely. comes to the table and says, "Well, I'm I'm Jesse Ventura from Predator, and I'm going to play in Delta Green," great. However, in this adventure, there isn't going to be a Gatlin gun that you're toting around. Yeah, you don't get a Vulcan minigun. You don't get a yeah. this. You don't get that. It's not happening. And 
then it's a conversation of, okay, maybe I got to crank up the volume Mm -hmm. or I have to get them to understand like that's just not going to happen. So something, something to be aware of. And, and if they, if they still are like, nope, I want to be gung ho and they get into the scenario and it's, and they try and they start acting gung ho, then there's, you're going to set other player characters, I think off. Well, repercu- off, repercussions but, are a real thing then, right? Yeah. Well, that's when, right. That's when ACEL puts one behind your ear. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's how Delta Green operates, but. Yeah. I mean, you think about it in D&D terms. I mean, we'll jump off this here in a second. But if that guy who made that thief back in the old days who insists on stealing from the party, being chaotic, evil, being complete shit. I had a player one time say, well, that's just how my thief is. I said, okay, then I kill him. Well, why? I said, because that's how my fighter is. You're an untrustworthy fuck. We're four levels down in this dwarven dungeon. We're being assaulted by trolls. And I can't trust you? You're dead. Oh, I guess maybe I shouldn't be like that. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> So that's kind of the, the start, right? If I have that, from like a depends on the player's perspective, I depend on my players to bring characters in that are at least going to be acceptable. Maybe is too strong a word, but they fit the the kickoff, right? Hey, you're here. Give me a reason why everybody's in this town. Make sure your character has this type of background or whatever the limitations, specs, boundaries, whatever it is you're putting together. Even if it's something as loose as, hey, here's the mission brief. Please make a character that has a reason to be dealing with this mission. Thank you very much. So from how much do you plan in advance as opposed to just responding to the players? I think, Sean, if I were to go back to your um, Mothership game, I think that game has, in a way, all the character classes in it are built specifically to tell the Mothership type of story, right? That type of game. They're very custom built, which is cool. They're custom built for that, or built, designed, and whatnot. but you had an adventure, but you did plenty of responding to the players as well as kind of marching the plot along as well, right? I mean, it wasn't the pure railroady type of thing. You actually had you had plenty of response to what the players were up to. Am I correct? Yes, I th- I like to think so, and I think that uh... well, from what you told me on and off the mics, man, you had plenty of well, I got to figure out what to do because they did this, and I'm not sure what to do here. Oh yeah, you know. I- as far as like pre-planning and going, okay, it's an, a linear adventure, so therefore it's going to go this way. No, I did not have that in place. I, I had a couple end destinations in mind, but how they would get there, I don't – like there's one de- there's one destination. Oh, okay. I'll read this. I'm prepped. Nah, they <laughs> didn't – not even close to going that route. Well, I think what you just laid out there, that's pretty much how I do it. And I think a lot of game masters do. I used to think, wow, I think this is kind of special. I don't know how many other people do it. And the more I've met other game masters through doing this show and through talking to people over the years, now lots of people do this. And I think it's, we've got some set pieces. Like, hey, there's some stopping points along the along the route here. There's um, this piece, that piece, this clue point, so on and so forth. And you can react to the player's by adjusting those things, we've talked about that with different clocks for threats and dangers and applying pressure and so forth. But having those bits in advance gives me something to adjust. Because if all I'm doing is absolutely from the hip, and I have done this and I've had good luck with it, but that's also a different type of gaming, right? 
just, hey, let's sit down and let's make something up and just kind of wing it. And then what I did after that was turned it into what we're talking about now. So it was like a, a big pre, it was like a session zero live type of thing. But I think by having those set pieces as Sean did with Mothership, or Sean, even as you do with, um, uh, with Team of Annihilation, or as I do if I'm building something of my own, having those set pieces like, hey, here's a chunk, here's a piece. This is what I think the ending is. The ending is, if this bad thing happens, they summon Orcus. This ending is the Dark Lord of the Sith arrives. This, the, you know, the end game for this thing, for these bad guys, excuse me, is this other horrible thing occurs. Um, if you don't do this right, the spaceship runs of oxygen and you die. So you've got those chunks. And then what you're doing is, is the players are acting and reacting to all the different things that are happening. You're applying tension. You're doing all this cool shit we've talked about that you're really good at. And you now know what to do after the session, right? They get done with something. They pull a rabbit out of their ass. You're like, holy fuck, how'd they do that? Jesus, I never thought they would figure out how to hotwire the knibbler rods and make the defibrillator do that thing. And wow, next thing you know, the air's not a problem anymore. They figure that one out. Well, what does that do? And you're able to ask the question, what does that do? Because you have read enough of the adventure, you understand the main plot points you have, and you know the right chunks. Well, if they stop that from happening, that means this other ship isn't going to hear the distress beacon, so that might just go away. But this other thing, this other thing I talked about, that could now, oh, you know what's going to happen? These guys will now get engaged. This other yeah. thing doesn't happen, write it off and, and deploy, you know, plan two or something. Does that make sense, Sean? It does. And what it would be kind of cool, and I don't know if anybody would be interested in this or not, but it would be interesting to run a game or a campaign and explain how that goes. So if you, for example, if I ran Mothership, which I did, and I actually divulge where, where everything's at, this is, this is where we're going to start, okay? And then... Session one occurs, and then I tell everybody, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. Giving what, given what's happened, my next session's going to be th with this in mind. So whether that's, okay. That's not a bad idea. What you got to do, though, is tell the players who are in it, like, um, you can't, I can't if I were you and you don't want to <laughs> wreck your own game, you don't want to, if you prefer no surprises ever, sure. But yeah. uh, please don't tune into this one. I gotta, I gotta run it for people that don't listen to us. Like, hey, have you ever heard of gaming BS? No. You what? Got a podcast, good. Sean? You're in. Yeah. Good. Right. You're in. Yeah. Nah, don't in. worry about it. Ah, it's nothing. It's nothing. Yeah, Come it's here. nothing. Forget about nothing. it. Nothing. You're fine. Actually, I think there's, a, I think there would be some value in that. We talked. There are. Um, what was I going to say? Matt Colville does some post campaign note stuff. I think you and I have done that to a point. Hey, how's your game going? What's this? What's that? But I think on the lens, the focus to say, this, this, these are the big points I have. And guess what? They just knocked down all those pins and I got to reset them back up. And here's the order I'm setting them back up in. So watching somebody make that sausage could be entertaining for some folks. Might have to be a bonus BS episode type of thing or something, but it could be fun. Yeah. And that's a good point. It could be a bonus episode. And maybe I'll do that. I don't know if I'll do it for Delta Green. We'll but, see. But I, I think the, the, the point though is that if you have stuff in advance, you now know what you're, what the characters are bouncing off of, what their reactions are doing. You can look at the thing that you had envisioned happening and adjust it. It only becomes a railroad 
in the worst sense of the word, when their agency shot. Well, yep, but the uh, bad guy still hits him on Tuesday. It, they did all this stuff, you know, to stop the vampire lord from getting in their safe house. And you're like, nope, sorry, the um, the way this adventure is written, uh, nice black Asian vampire man comes in and kicks her ass. It's Tuesday, ass kicking vampire time. What the fuck? You know, then that's not good. But when you're doing this stuff, when you plan things out, really some pieces of it, and this is where it gets kind of into the next piece. I do a general elements thing and fill in as the game progresses, Tom, as you as you said there, your question. Do you outline general elements and fill it in? Yes, that's what I do. Even when I have run pre-published adventures, I look at those as general elements and a basic concept of what's going to happen. But my players have always done some crazy-ass shit. They team up with someone. They find somebody. They say, hey, is there a guide? Has anybody been there? You said there's a ranger. You think we could hire him? Uh, sure, make a persuasion check. Ah, crap, there's a natural 20. Here's another 19. Ah, fine, all right. All right, um, you'll do it for 200 gold. Well, we have 300 gold. How about that? Ah, all right, <laughs> fine, you got a guide. God damn it, you're through the thing. You're at the dungeon already. Man, eh, moving on. That's fine. You know, that that's every shit can happen. But I think getting too specific and too geared towards stop one, stop two, stop three, then A, then B, then C, that is where you go wrong. And I think by having bits and pieces, the general elements in play, I like to know what the ending is supposed to be. What's the goal of this campaign? The goal of the campaign at the end of it is that stop Orcus from being summoned or fight Orcus. Or the world ends. Ah, pretty good ending. Cthulhu game. You could say, um, stop this thing, or really arises. Cthulhu awakens, and the world is nothing but blood and ash. Good thing to stop. The Dragon Lord. The Sith. The you name it, right? I want to stop that thing. Which is a great general classic campaign perspective. You can be a little different than that. You could say something along the lines of, I want every character to have, at the end of this... Everyone will have had some sort of awakening. They will have some sort of emotional denouement at the end of this campaign. You can do that too. Um, but then that comes down to what's the mechanisms? How are you planning to do that? And I think that's where you, you get to lean in and depend on your players. Because you've got some cool things that you want to have happen. The main points that I've got. Those general main elements. And then as the players go along, they say cool shit. Like somebody in Sean's Mothership game, I can't remember who it was, said mentioned something like, hey, that was cool to build off of, so you build off of it. Right? I do that. Somebody says something, like, oh, that's a good idea. The last time I ran um, a fish story for the BSers, a couple of guys said, is there, there's a second story. Are there windows up there? No one had ever asked me that before. Sure, there's windows. How Can, can I get up there? Drain pipe? Sure, there's a drain <laughs> pipe. What am I going to do? I never had when, a second. When players start asking weird questions, you know you're the trouble. jig is up. Yeah, you're but in like, a lot oh, of trouble. Well, I know what I knew what the main deal was. The main deal is that the the critters inside are, you know, trying to protect the place. If there's a ruckus or a rumpus outside, they want to protect. Most of the stuff is downstairs where the or wherever the hell the uh the ritual is happening, but they've got guards. So the guards will react as guards do, and um, we'll see where it goes from there. Oh, yeah, if you kick the shit out of too many guards, they try to run downstairs and tell the big boss. Okay, classic, but hey, let's do that. So instead of them coming in through the front door or the side door, as I expected everybody else had, they tried to go in through the secret entrance in the back, through the sewers, oh, through the second story. I'm like, oh, this is great. <laughs> this is awesome. I never, I didn't think anybody would do this. 
I give the sec, you know, the secret entrance to the well is like this dangerous place. They're like, oh, bound to determine we're going down there. Or be second story, men. We're going in up here. That's awesome. But I can work with that because I know the main elements, the general elements of that setting, of that adventure, what's supposed to happen. So there I'm able to respond to my players with those general elements by adjusting them as necessary, right? So I pick themes. Sometimes these guards are lazy, shiftless. They're stalwart. You pick general components like that of them. And just how does that fit in the general component? The general piece, again, then I keep saying the word general, but then you can you can adjust things easier that way. You're able to react to your players. Even with big plot elements, Sean, you did that with Mothership. They they did a couple wacky things and you're like, and you and I talk, you're like, I gotta figure out how to fix this thing. <laughs> fix it, like get it back to where, oh my God, they're they're going crazy on me. What am I gonna do here? Yeah. Which is great, but you knew what was gonna happen. Not what was gonna happen. That's too strong. You knew the general elements of what the story contained, what the bits and pieces were. So you're like, how do I pull these other main elements back into play? That's awesome. That's good. To me, that's good. That's good game mastering right there. Thanks, Brett. Is it, well, I figured I'd just throw you a ball. But does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah, it does. When you run... Um, now, Mothership, I think, was a pretty good foray. And maybe this is this is going to sound more insulting. I mean, it's, was I, that, I won't take it, it as felt an like insult. It it's all good. It felt, a, it felt like a really good foray for you into, not foray, because this reminded me a lot about your Forget About It game, where you're like, oh, crazy shit's happening, you just kind of rolled with it. Right. And I, like every time you talk about that game, like, man, Sean really loves that, hope he does it more. And when you're like, oh, shit's happening, fucking throw the rule book out, let's just go with it. But you know enough about Forget About It, and now you know enough about Mothership, that you can roll. You can make that stuff happen. So I think... The other piece of um, preparation here is your familiarity with what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Yes. So if you were if you were to run a massive 200-page Delta Green adventure campaign scenario right out of the gate, it might be a little harder for you to grok because you haven't played Delta Green at all. You know what I mean? Fair. Fair assessment. Yes. So I think um, when you and I first talked Mothership, I'm like, is a campaign playable? You're like, yeah, I think so. And I asked you that after you ran the game, after you finished it, you said, yes, it is. And I think you had experience with it. Like, oh, I could see how to do this now. Yeah. So my my own assessment or, or doing a self-assessment, looking in the mirror, if you will, I think that running a pre-published adventure as part of a campaign for me is it gets me okay hey i'm gonna okay i get this book whatever it is tomb of annihilation and i start diving into it i start forming in my brain how this is all going to come together in the beginning eventually it becomes so overwhelmingly daunting as time progresses and i frankly am my i think my excitement wanes a little bit and so I don't do as much reading in the deeper sections of the book. It's a big, it's a decent sized book. Now, having said that, going to what you're saying, Brett, the my wanting to with um, mothership specifically, as well as forget about it, kind of because it's forget about it's unique because it's more it's linear, but still crazy shit has to happen. 
Well, here's the deal with forget about it and the differences between tomb of annihilation, forget about it, and mothership. From Sean's view, tomb of annihilation, big published book, lots of text, very long, lots of levels, progression, multi-month session planning and or plant running the game, right? Great. Forget about it is a four-hour con game where literally the, the gangsters are in a Cadillac and they're going down the interstate to get rid of a body in the trunk that's still alive, mind you. Now, in there, you have ties amongst the gangsters. And then you have like six, five or six kind of things that it says in the adventure, which is like, I don't know, 10 pages maybe. About things that can happen, and that's a cool. It's a cool um, callback call to the fact that those characters are built to make the most of that ad- adventure. Yes, which I think, which I think is absolutely key to kicking off a campaign. Characters that are key, that are good at making the most out of this campaign to start with. Things can change. It can shift. Characters could drop in, drop out, but having good ones to start with really helps because then, anyway, keep going, keep going. I just think it really helps. So that's forget about it. And that's a con game. And it, and it's so as things go, you just, I literally just go, okay, I need to, okay, the volume has been at two for a few miles an hour. Turn it to 11. I got to crank it up to at least six or seven. So here comes the motorcycle gang. Now, nothing could happen. Like they could just be like, oh, it's a motorcycle gang. They wave, you know, hi, motorcycle gang. But that's that's not it's they're just not gonna ride by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So maybe they will. We'll see. But so that's that, right? And then you go even further to mothership or a, a game like mothership, where it is very much a framework and dead planet is what I ran, which some of the elements I used and some of them I didn't. But it's set up in a not linear way. It's supposed to be read this, there's random tables, pick what you need. Leave which don't, but here's some NPCs. Here's kind of their motivations. Here's the backstory. Here's why they're there. And this is what this little faction's trying to do. And this is what this little faction's trying to do. But it isn't anything that you need to put into an adventure if the characters never get there, or they don't care. You don't. They don't hold the key, or if they do hold the key, you know when to inject it. So it's like three different scenario three different adventures or games campaigns i i personally like the mothership build out better sure for me because it's that framework approach as opposed to follow this recipe right specifically i like the framework you know from a cooking analogy be like look you know instead of telling me exactly how to make cookies, give me a bunch of stuff and say, you can make cookies, brownies, cakes, whatever you need to. Look at this. You can pull all the shit together. Brett's going right? to become a baker when this is all No, I can't. Over. I can't bake. I suck at baking. Oh, God. Got to practice, anyway, that, man. Practice. That's true. But I, li- I like the framework idea, and that's and I honestly think that type of framework, for me, ha- is what has set me up for being able to react to my players when, they do- when they're doing stuff because I know all the different f- pieces of the frame they're holding that framework together and I can um, then react. Those things react, the world reacts and so forth to what the characters are doing. Again, the players made characters that fit the kickoff, fit the start of the campaign, and that helps drastically. But then I just feel I, from there on, it's fill it in as the game progresses. 
and um, I think it works out fine. So Nola Burt asked me if I've run a game of my own my own creation, and I am trying to think of if I ever have, and if so, when. And I cannot. I have. I've run things where they've gone a little off the track. So Rise of the Rune Lords, I think it was. You did Kingmaker with me that time, didn't you? Wasn't that kind of a cobbled no, together one? No, that's, that's, yeah. that's a unique one because it's more exploratory. It's kind of a hex crawl in okay. Pathfinder. But um, Pathfinder, Rise of the Rune Lords, I think in 3.0, when they first came out with 3.0, and that was built before Pathfinder was even published, I had the character start out, and I think I ran like the first module, and then eventually it went, I went awry. And I think I ran it in Aberon. So it went from like, oh, here's Rise of the Rune Lords to now none of this shit has anything to do with what they're doing. So it's not. <laughs> so the short answer is I can't remember the last time I sat down and did a homebrew and made up all the locations and the NPCs and the players. And then um, it just kind of or used, you know, Dollar Adventure Frameworks that, you know, Steve Grodzicki uses yep. uh, or is published. Um which I heard are amazing, but I, I am interested in doing it. My the biggest reason, and the bigger re, the biggest reasons I don't is sometimes I think my creative well runs dry, or I don't know why because it's very simplistic. So Brett, Brett and I will talk offline, and we'll talk about my game, or I'll talk with like Wayne and Joe and Brett. I'll say, oh, here's where I'm at, where I'm at. I don't know where to go with this. And they'll be like, oh, dude, totally just do this. Or you could throw that in there. And they're very simple. They're not like, oh, my God, it's Brett. Wow. Yeah. It's not, wow. Where did oh you my God. come up with such a grand yeah, idea? Exactly. No, not to exactly. belittle Brett. I mean, he's he's got a. No, no, no. Some, some of the stuff is like, you're like, oh, no, it's not a big deal. And it's also easier to give someone else advice when you're not in the muck that they're in. And I think that's sometimes the deal. Like it's, I even find myself if somebody came up, well, shit, I'm on a podcast, man. Like here's where, here's a perfect example. I'll sit back and go, Hey Tom, well, let me give you some advice. Yeah. Right. But if I was, I would be Tom, right. I am Tom like, Oh, I don't know what to do from here. But if you're removed from that you kind of, you know, okay. Ah, I, I, I think I see something now. So I think, so one of the pieces that I think that if we take the lesson you learned from Mothership, from that framework approach, if we look at Tom's question here and say, hey, Tom, you know, if I were you, I'd use the same type of framework approach like we've been rambling about here. I think the other component of this is don't get too big when you start doing this, right? Oftentimes we get caught in this idea of I'm going to set a campaign. I look to my shelf and I see Rise of the Rune Lords. I look to my shelf and I see, you know, Master Nile Thotep. I'm like, well, I'm going to run a Call of Cthulhu game. I can't write that, so therefore I'm not going to, right? Or we get caught thinking that has to be so goddamn big. Or it has to be like that. Oh, it's got to have all the deities. I got to have the religions. I got to have all the clubs and all the We can tell you that it doesn't have to a thousand times, but you have to sit down and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take that idea. I'm going to make it small. I'm going to do a DCC approach here. This town, this thing, there's undead, and there's a necromancer in a tower 500 miles that way. What are some cool stops along the way? Pink, 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 and go. 
you can do that. But part of it is don't think too big. I mean, the campaign does not have to be as long as it took you to get through Tomb of Annihilation in real time. It doesn't have to take you a year. A campaign can run six sessions, depending on what you get done. I mean, a campaign could be, you know, four months of play playing every week. That could be a long time. Yeah, that's that's a good. That's a fair. That's a fair amount. Yeah, that's a good uh, good sprint. I used to think that my campaigns had to be massive, and then I actually broke it down and thought, wait a minute. Before my my home group and I started gaming more online, when I'm gaming once a month, a campaign only only lasted 10, 11 sessions. That's it. Now, granted, they're long, forty eight hours of pop sometimes, you know, four or six hours on average, but still. It just it, it seemed long because the calendar time in real life that took forever to get to. But now <clears throat> um my Avalon campaign, which I run every other Tuesday now with the guys, bam, 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 two to four hours. We're cruising right along. Lots of stuff happening, it's really moving. And it reminds me, like, you know, back in the day when I ran Vampire in my heyday and shit, we would go through a campaign in a the summer, then it'd be a fall campaign, and then there'd be a winter one. It was basically by season. We just changed campaigns up because we ran a story, we're done, ran the next one, made new characters, and moved on. And um, I think that's a piece here. So if Tom were in front of us having a beer, I'd be like, dude, here's the thing. If you want to try this, think small. You can still do cool and small. You can think, eh, you know, I've got, um, my framework has six points. That's it. I don't have to have 20 points. I don't have to have every deity laid out. I don't have to have the entire Midderlands, which is the map behind me. I don't have to have that huge thing planned out. And that's not even all that huge, right? From the Midderlands books. Those are pretty small. Um, really cool. Really slick. Good job, Glenn. Um, yeah, shout out to Glenn Seal. Yeah, absolutely. But the the campaign you can build with this, you can make it be a small little thing. If you take that mothership idea that Sean just talked about and those framework games and then change it, flip them on their heads, make them fantasy make them spy games make them whatever it is you want them to be but keep that framework tight and when i say tight isn't so much as that people can't wander around but just keep the ending closer it doesn't have to be levels one through 20 it could be a level one through five men and say cool that was great i'll build a new campaign for levels five to eight and then walk away go build the next one you can have that story end have the characters walk away and come back, play something else and say, hey, I'm ready to pick that story back up. I got the next chapter of our book ready. Boom, and go back at it. It doesn't have to be continuous nonstop until you get to level 20 or whatever. So just another idea. Well, and just so you know, um, for the record, Tom is actually listening to us right now, uh, beer in hand, actually. Is he? Oh, of course. Well, and he's like, as a matter of fact, I am here. He's and- smart. He's probably cursing. This advice sucks. God, <laughs> terrible. So if Tom were here listening right now <laughs> with, with a beer, a beer in his hand, hand and he's, he like, he's probably like looking around. <laughs> as he's wont to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think the other thing that that does is, so one of the problems that caused Tom to write into us was he's talking about the players he's got now where they're not doing what his other groups used to do, right? They're not. Well, like, right. It's all, it's the players. It's obviously the players' fault. So the first thing to do is you, you, you get rid of all those players and go get better. Got to get rid of them. But assuming that's harder to do, um, but if you, you know, they're big, maybe they're family and you can't, you can't get rid of your kids because they live with you. They're, they maybe weigh a hundred to 200 pounds. They're, and they're hard, hard to move. Hard to move. Hard to move. Yeah. But the other thing with having a smaller campaign framework, a lower, you know, a quicker campaign framework is probably a better way to say it. like levels one through five or, Hey, we're going to bust through, 
we're going to go get this person out of Jabba's palace. And then the campaign is over. I'll come back with another one. I think sometimes the players then after, excuse me, after the short campaign, they say, wow, that was cool. And you, and you get them talking about it. What'd you like? Did you like something? Hey, what would you like to see next? Is there a part of that you'd like more, more info on? Yeah, boy, you mentioned something about a Lich King. I wonder if we should, we should go fight that guy. He sounds evil. I don't want to go fight the Lich King. Sounds crazy. Um, but sometimes your players after that short campaign will offhandedly, and you can pull info out of them. Uh, if they had a good time, they'll often talk to you and say things like, Hey, I like that. Or yeah, I really, I can't wait till we get back to this character because I want to do this with them. Might be a thing they never said during the game when you offer to take a break, because you're going to go build the next, next framework for the next piece of that massive storyline. You're cool. Um, so they, they may well give you some good info that you can work on. may not give it to you during the framework that you're going through, but may give you more for the next piece of the framework. And I honestly think after talking to Alex and other people have worked on really large um, campaign ideas and so forth within our little hobby industry, you work with partners sometimes and somebody writes this chunk and someone writes the next piece. You know, though no one sat down and wrote the Ravenloft hardcover book in one go. You know, <laughs> no, probably not. You you chunk it out and you break it up into pieces and it takes you time to get through it, right? So it's it's no different here. If you're building a, a massive campaign, again, to use D&D parlance, if you want to try to take characters level one through 20, you think it'd be cool to make such a campaign, well, do one to three, three to five, eh, five to 10 if you're feeling good, 10 to 15, 15 to 20. You can break it up however the hell you want to make it digestible by you, something you can plan, you can manage. And also so that way your framework doesn't get so large and unwieldy for you that you can't have it all react appropriately to your players. So when the characters do do something, you're like, oh, we're gonna move my framework around a little bit because this is how this would all groove and change based on what they've done. If you have too many pieces on the board, it can be really hard to keep track of. So if you keep yourself tight, limited in scope, you'll have a better chance at it. So that's the only other piece I had. Sean, any more advice there? Oh, man, I could just go on and on. On and on and on. Someday, someday, I got an itch, but my my biggest beef, my, my biggest kind of uh, holdup is simply sitting down every week or every two weeks and hashing out the notes or the outline or this or that. And I also, hey, true confession here. I also like some game masters, whether they're new or veteran, get a little nervous about not having the answers to the shit that pops up. Totally, dude. Right? It happens. So being able to kind of, and the thing is, is it's, a, it's a fear for me personally that that shouldn't be there because I usually can pivot. Like even if I have to go to the bathroom to get a break to collect my thoughts, I'll usually come back with something. Now, the, the, the problem is, is also the reservation is whether I come back with something that is good, <laughs> decent. Yeah, good. Like I could come back with something that's going to fill in the, all right, the players are going this way. You travel, you travel, and you travel some more. Well, I'll tell you, the other, <laughs> the other thing you can do there is one way that I that I did this to, where I cut my teeth getting, getting better at frameworking it is buy a framework style adventure or get your hands on a smaller adventure, like narrower in scope, get a, um, uh, what is it, Adventures Guild size something, 
get that uh, mothership type of thing, give that a crack. It's digestible. It's smaller in scope, very, and then fuck with it. Say, oh, this is neat, but I don't like that. I want an Oni. I want a different monster in here. I want a dragon. I want a this. How would I change this? What would I do with it? You can fuck with it. There's no, like we say, there's no gaming police that are going to come and tell you you did it wrong. And sometimes messing with it in a smaller scope gives you a better chance to try it out, you know, mucking up the framework, changing it around a little bit and doing something as opposed to grabbing Tyranny of Dragons and saying, well, all right, Cracks Knuckles opens book. Let's see how we can rearrange this beauty. Right. That's a big tome, man. That's a lot of work to do. Don't grab Master Narlothotep, you know, in Horror on the Orient Express and decide you're going to rewrite that into your own version of a Call of Cthulhu module. Why the hell would you do that? It seems crazy to me. If, you, if that's your thing, more power to you. I sure as hell wouldn't do it. But you can take a small one, a pre-published one, a short one, a haunted house like the Corbett Mansion in the, in the uh, 7th edition starter kit. And uh, wow, you can mess with that a little bit. Because nice little framework. Add things on, change it around. And it's a good way to start. Again, limited in scope, lets you muck around with it a bit. So, <sighs> anything else, Sean? So much, but it's really an hour show. I know. I'm in so much pain right now. It's fucking hurts. And, and Brett is, and in, in if you haven't, if you so haven't bad. gathered, people that are not being able to see his oh. face during this, he's, Brett looks like he's like in it, you know, just like, <laughs> I'm either, seeing I'm either, as I'm he talks. An incredible pain or I'm horribly constipated. It's pain. It's pain. Trust me, it's pain. Constipation. No, it's, no, it's not. not. Const- let's go yeah. to die roll. All right, let's get into die roll. Thanks so much, Tom, for the uh, inspiration for the topic. Appreciate it, buddy. Have a drink for us. Uh, die roll 2D4, miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery we want to bring and share with you. Got a few this week. Some are very uh, timing-based, so... Just like we probably did a year ago, the year prior to that, the year prior to that, the Any Awards, 2020 Any Award winners have been announced. I linked to a blog because, of course, the Any's website is not updated yet with the w- winners. So, but they did live tweet them. So, congratulations to all the Any Award winners out there. Uh, nice job. And nominees. Hey. Yeah. No, you got nominated, man. That's huge. That is huge. We've never been nominated. No, which is fine. I mean. <laughs> one, so. one, not worthy. Two, not worthy. Right. Three, right. other people are better. That's totally fine. There you go. Uh, second one, 2020 Deanna Jones Award winner has been announced. And more, a, uh, not an individual or a game, but Black Excellence in Gaming was the one that went through this year. Cool. They, so, Diana Jones Award has done a, Matt Forbeck and the crew have done a couple different things like, hey, thematically, like this is an important thing. So good stuff. Cool. Well, and to think that they just awarded it willy nilly or based on X or Y, I know I, I had seen one of the individuals that is involved in that uh, selection process talk a little bit about it and i mean you know if there is a specific um product cause what have you that somebody feels very strongly for they they've got to make a case for it. it's just not hey we're gonna make it this this year no no no. that's cool number three congrats to wayne ching Pladian and Keith Baker for the launch of Exploring Eberron. Nice. Got it at the DMs Guild. Yeah, so I know Wayne was involved in that. And uh, we may have a little something, something. Wayne has uh, given me a couple 
co- free codes to some PDFs on uh, DMs Guild to give give a couple copies away. So we'll think of something. Sweet, very cool. And hey, yeah. Wayne, man, that's awesome. As a yes. guy, who, as uh, Wayne Chain being a huge Eberron fan fanatic, that is, you get to work with Keith Baker, man. That's that's awesome. That's cool. I mean, that's that's like Alex working with uh, Ed Greenwood type of thing. That's that's fucking awesome, Wayne. Congrats, yeah, man. And you- Check out those two guys along with their other co-host. I've, her name escapes me. I apologize. Um, at Manifest Zone podcast. Mm-hmm. We mentioned that before. Good people. Uh, what's that? Good people. Just great yeah, people. Yeah. Good show. Great people. Next one. found. So going into campaign management a little bit, uh, or we will be, Foundry Virtual Tabletop. I did not know this existed. Uh, or we've never had it as a die roll. It's a standalone application built for experiencing multiplayer tabletop RPGs using a feature-rich and modern self-hosted application where your players connect directly through the browser. Interesting. So for, for like 50, 60 bucks, you buy it. That's it. Cool. Done. No other players have to subscribe. You don't have to pay any more recurring fees. Um, it's So check it out. It's not, I don't think it has like voice and video, but people use Discord for that stuff. Yep. So that's so it is something that I'm gonna have to check into at. that, man. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Cool. Uh, so let's see. And I think they have a Patreon, and they do like their support piece is a little unique. Um, fourth, fifth, fourth one, Scabbard or Scabbard? Scabbard. Well, Scabbard's with two B's, right? Oh, uh, I can't spell. I think it is. Because that thing, like, auto-corrected like 50 times, and I'm like, nope, it's 1B. Scabbard Campaign Manager Tool. Check it out. Uh, another one, D&D Campaign Planner. Nice. Next one, Notebook.ai. We'll have I'm, links all I'm just, down. Open, I'm just opening the shit as you say, ooh, look at, ooh, neat. Ooh, we'll have neat. links <laughs> all this in the, in the notes, and uh, if you hang around on Twitch, I'll put them in the Twitch chat. Uh, and then the last name or the last one is Chronica. Another one? Oh my god! Chronica. Take the tedious out of tabletop. Easy tabletop campaign management. And of course, there's Obsidian Portal, which we didn't put in there, but that's that's everybody a big one. knows that one. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, we've had it in die roll before. Yeah, we have. This is new stuff. But uh, yeah, check out all of those links. We'll put them in the show notes. Um, yeah, that's, I think, it for this week on Gaming and BS. What are we talking about next week, Brad? Next week, we're going to talk about why do players wander off. Or player characters, perhaps, might be better. Characters. Let's say characters instead of players. Players wander off. Like, hey, yeah, they do. Where'd he go? There we go. Where'd they go? Where'd they go? Why I did can, they wander I can, off? I can retell that story about the time I got up and walked off a game at, <laughs> as a player. Anyway. But yeah, that's what we're going to talk about next time. Well, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, it should be fun. All right. Well, hey, thank you to everybody that showed up uh, to see us record this live in chat. We uh, in on Twitch. We will be we stream every Monday night, eight PM Central Time. Brett and I record the podcast, and then I run an actual play every other every other week. I'm going to get back on the on the AP train. I just got to get through this. I'll yeah, figure it out. Brett's got you know he's got to take care of Brett. I do sometimes, especially yeah. when I'm in pain. Right. And then um, we'll put this up on YouTube. So if you find this on YouTube, do us a favor. Go below, subscribe, um, and comment and like. Thank you. Like, do this. Hit this. Go like this. Click. <laughs> it turns gray. 
Uh, otherwise, uh, yeah, that's uh, I think about it. Uh, for I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night, good game and all. This episode of Gaming in BS produced by the following BSers. Graham Miner, Corey Wynn, Brett Pazinski, Ed Nice, Ghost GM, Jay Plata, George Sedgwick, Stefan Dragonspawn, Adam Grotejohn, Phil McClory, Jared Rasher, Dollar Adventure Frameworks, Jason Weeby, Ray Otis, Eric Frankhouse, Daniel Garrett, Jim Ingram, Curtis Hinson, Rory Weston, Mike Hess Jr., Ron Blessing, Mark Soam, Hus Carl, Eric Tavola, Henry Newcomb, Melissa Bashinsky, Harrigan, David F. Baylog, Andy Hall, Rich Wishon, Brian Rumble, Jeff Goad, Niall Diamond, Corey Gonzalez, John Kayward, Jeff Seifert, Andy Olson, Michael Dinos, Old School DM, Erica Villa, Perry Besor, Laramie Wall, Robert Nemeth, Angus, Josh Wallace, Howard Bishop, Craig, Roger Braslett, Sky, Chad, Chad, Chad Gleeman, just kidding, Chad, Thomas Hook, Mark Richman, Ron Bishop, Larry Hout, Old Scouser Roleplaying, Jim Fitzpatrick, Kate, Craig Huber, C.W. Mellencamp, Dan LaValley, Eileen Barnes, Brandon Barnes, Pure Mongrel, Wayne Humphrey, Merkel Froelich, Mark Tasaka, Jason Hobbs, Chris Steele, Sean Nicholson, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, and Joe Swick. Hey, if you like what you've heard on this episode of Gaming MBS, do us a favor and tell a friend. Have them go over and subscribe. They could catch us in any of their favorite podcatchers or head over to GamingMBS.com. Thanks, BSers. This, this has, has been, been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio production. production.